Sounds like you need a shot of espresso, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> Do a couple push-ups, maybe, you know. Cold oh, shower. Yeah. Cold shower, yeah. <laughs> Hey everybody and welcome to episode 26 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel we have Raj Schmidt. Hello from Salt Lake City. Ben Sherman. Hello from Houston. James Uber. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Doggone it. People, oh, sorry. Um, hello from Minnesota. Can you believe that guy is my senator? <laughs> I don't know. Let me get back to work. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Uh, I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv with a quick reminder to go check out goingroguevideo.com. I have a 30-minute video on how I went freelance. And we also have a special guest this week, and that's Sam Davies. Hello there from Bristol in the UK. Do you want to introduce yourself for the people who don't know who you are? Sure. I'm uh, Sam Davis. I work now for a company called Shinobi Controls, and we build various different uh, UI controls for for both iOS and for Android and things, all kinds of different things. Uh, not going to bore you with exactly what we do, but charting and all kinds of different things to, to help people's lives out. I started out life as a uh, computer vision researcher back in the day a few years ago. I uh, spent a while doing that, but academia is, doesn't really have any money, so I had to uh, had to leave academia and go and do something a bit more, uh, a bit more applicable. So I started doing mobile development and uh, kind of started working with Shinobi a few years ago. And now I work as the developer evangelist, so kind of writing different bits and pieces and, and uh, teaching people about things as well. And out there talking to devs and, and doing dev work as well. Very nice. So we brought you on the show to talk about uh, custom UI controls. Mm. Yep. So I guess, uh, I mean, did, uh, should I talk a little bit about what what they are and why why you would want to make custom UI controls? Is that a, yeah, that sounds like a good start so, to me. Yeah, so I mean, we'll kind of, UI controls, we all kind of know exactly what UI controls are because we use them all the time, but... But what that actually means for somebody who's who's using something is it, they're, they're really helpful for lots of different groups of people, including designers, developers, and for the end user as well. And they kind of represent a common vocabulary of ways in which you interact with an app. So we're all used to UI controls in iOS because we have things like range uh, UI sliders, we have buttons, we have uh, segmented controls, you know, a whole selection of different things. And they're all really, really useful. But the uh, the question always comes when you get to the stage where you want something that doesn't quite uh, where the the, the the ones that are the existing ones from iOS don't exactly do what you want to do. You want to have something slightly different. Say uh, an example I always give whenever anybody wants to talk to me about this kind of thing is I've got a range slider, but maybe I want a circular one. Maybe I want like a a knob that you'd get on a sound desk or something like that. Well, how would I go about building that? And the the point of building the custom control aspect is that you build something that's reusable and you uh, then you're not using it just in one project but you can reuse it or you can package it up and let other people use it or you know other people on your team open source projects and that kind of thing so kind of what your eye controls are and why you would want to build them and then i guess there's lots of different ways to approach it the stuff that is always kind of fascinating is is looking at the user experience associated with with UI controls because moving from you know we're all used to UI controls on the desktop that's that's kind of where they they're born from but 
actually the user experience with a with a mobile device is completely different and taking that into account and watching people use things that we build it matters in apps but then even to a finer granularity it's particularly important with UI controls how do how do people interact with them how do they do they understand how to use your app without having and your controls without having to have a lesson before you first start so that's all you know before you even start looking at the cool th the stuff you know the stuff that we associate with being cool as devs is getting in there and working out well how do i how do i draw it on the screen how do i interact with it and all that kind of stuff there's a vast amount of stuff that needs to happen kind of not necessarily uh, beforehand, or, or not necessarily that you need to sit down and write a big list of it, but there's a lot of things to consider before you even start with getting into the code, I think. So I have a couple of questions. Um, one of them is just when building controls, or rather the the end users of your controls, the developers who are using it, since there's no like design time UI experience uh, for our own custom controls, do you find that that's a, a hindrance for developers or is it well, like with sufficient doc documentation? Is that just a non-issue? It doesn't seem to be too much of an issue. Now, I, when I first started with iOS stuff, then I would I'd find myself always an interface builder, and then I kind of I kind of grew out of it and found that I found that writing stuff in code was a lot easier. And now, since I've I've been doing some work recently, I've kind of grown back to storyboards a little bit, and I'm quite enjoying using them. And I do find, yes, it is, it, it can be a little bit annoying that there is no design time stuff, but there just is, there is no way to do it. But equally, you can still do most of your layout and stuff using Interface Builder. And then you just end up with the, the last phase of the code that goes with it has to be done in code, as, as you'd expect. I think the documentation, and whatever you do, the documentation is, is usually enough to deal with that, I think. Yeah, I know that the uh, design time experience in, like, say, Visual Studio is much more common, but sort of splits developers into the camp of, well, I'd rather drag and drop a control and click and configure. And then there's a whole different camp who, like you said, finds things a little bit easier to do in code. I certainly am much more of the code type person. I'd rather configure things in a way that's explicit. Uh, you have advantages of using source control to see like when a line was added or removed. For instance, if you accidentally check the box in a property pane somewhere, it may not be obvious why something is broken, uh, and nor would a diff really be that helpful. However, <laughs> when you're looking at a, a screen that is composed largely of custom UI in Interface Builder or Storyboards, it ends up being a series of nested blue boxes, which isn't so helpful. Mm. Yeah, I always end up, I, when I, whenever I'm doing that, I end up with, well, I'll, I'll set the background color in Interface Builder so I can see what it is, and then I'll reset it when I get out. <laughs> I've got a screen of yeah. different boxes. That, that, yeah. And then, then when you forget to set the background color, you get something, why is this one always arriving purple? But yeah, yeah. that's. <laughs> ben, you just made me nostalgic for my WinForms days. I'm not sure that was possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember designing custom control in .NET once, and that's when I, I learned about the property that you could check to see if you were in design time mode so that you could render your view with, like, fake data, which is not necessarily a bad pattern. I mean, there's no reason why we couldn't just allow our controls to be instantiated and run and provide some sort of limited design time, at least rendering. I don't necessarily think you need to be able to configure everything uh, because that opens up another can of worms, but... There are certainly people who would rather use Interface Builder to to uh, build applications and 
you know, I, I think that it would be um, a good value add if that was part of the experience. Yeah, definitely. I mean, certainly you, the, uh, in the, the .NET world, you can also, you can data bind things as well within the, the, whatever the equivalent of interface builder is as well, can't you? So you kind of, you set, you've got properties and things on it and you set those to be bound to particular things and then you just sort your, sort your data out in the code and then it'll all kind of, mm-hmm. All gets all gets magically done for you. Yeah, that's probably. Yeah, I mean, I think the iOS sort of design that's baked all the way through the framework is just to use delegates and data source protocols. Mm. Um, and I kind of like that design quite a bit, as opposed to data binding, where you just say, "This is your data, go data bind," and then you have to say like override methods to to tell it. I don't know. It's hard. I guess it's hard to speak generically about these things, but whereas the like data source model is kind of like. Um, I'm going to ask, it's like ask, don't tell, right? Yeah. So I'm going to yeah. ask my data source how many things I have, how many segments in my chart or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, that's, that's kind of something that is key when you're building a custom control, whether, you know, whatever it be, then you've got to match the, or it's really good to match the pattern that is used on the, on the platform that you're using. So in iOS, then you should be, you know, delegates is the, is the way forward or, um, kind of target action method, uh, pattern or something if you're subclassing UI control. But if you then go into, if you're looking at Android things, then, then you would, you might want, you, you probably wouldn't be using a delegate pattern. You'd use some other kind of pattern instead. Um, and that's, that's really key to, if you're building a custom control, then it should fit. The, the understanding and the, the paradigm that the developer is on, that is already aware of and is using. They shouldn't have to learn something new just because you don't like the way that the platform does something, if that makes sense. So, well, I'm a little bit new to this, um, and I haven't actually created any custom controls yet for any of the apps that I'm writing. When is it appropriate to go for this? I mean, you, you've kind of mentioned that, you know, when the standard stuff doesn't do what you want it to do, but do you have an example of this? Um, so there's a kind of presentation that I've, I've done a couple of times called, uh, which is kind of about building custom UI controls and how to go about it and that kind of thing. And for that, I built an example, which was a, as the kind of thing I alluded to before, was I want to take a UI slider, but in my app design, I actually want it to be circular. I don't want it to be a, a linear one. I want it to be like a, a knob on a sound desk. So I kind of went through and uh, kind of went through the process of well how would I build this up using iOS so we kind of looked at well what do we need to subclass in order to do it and then given that then what interaction pattern should we set up with it should we be using del target action should we be using kVO so kind of went through all these different things and built this this kind of thing up and that was a kind of example where so that is a control. It is a custom control. If you were building an app with that needed that, then there's no reason why you actually need to go and build it as a completely separate little unit that's, that you might just want it to use it in that one single app. But the kind of the argument I was making was that, well, actually, this is a fairly generic thing and that we might want to be able to make a, put a knob in a different app. So I might have an app that has controls the volume and I want, might want to be able to change the volume in one app, but then later on I might have an app that has different pictures and we're, we're blending them together and I want to control the opacity. So I could reuse exactly the same thing. So that's the, yeah, that, that, that's an example of something that I've built. I mean, you can get the code for that as well if you, to see what kind of stuff it's, it's talking about. So, um, I think like your example of the UI slider is a, is a good place to start. Like where that's just the view part of MVC, right? We have a view and it just notifies its collaborators when the value changed, just like a, any UI control would, right? And it has like the visual re- representation 
of the state that is custom to the application. Uh, do you see a place for other types of controls where they're sort of, I don't know, components may be the right word, where they have their own sort of internal MVC architectures and manage their own data? Yeah, very much so. I mean, uh, yeah, as you say, the US Slider example is a very, very simple one, and that is that just has one, um, pretty much, you know, we set some properties on it to control its behavior to an extent, so you've only got min and max and that kind of thing. But then, as you say, you've just got value as the only thing. But yes, there are far more complicated controls as well. Um, for I mean, for example, if... Uh, well, I mean, table view is, a, is an example of a control which... Is which is far more complicated because that manages its data and it manages how do you uh, how do you visualize separate things. It manages being able to do virtualization and that kind of thing. So if you you maybe you wanted a custom version of table view, for example, if you wanted a grid and you wanted to have multiple columns, then that could be a custom control. It could surplus table view or do something magic like that. But or it could be a completely separate control, and that would be an example of of where you've got. You're managing data as well, and you've got delegates and that kind of stuff. Or charts as well, I mean, that's that's kind of... So if you want to draw a graph, then that clearly needs to manage some data as well as and have various different uh, delegate callbacks and things as well. So how do you handle things like, um, typically you'll have like your own custom class that's probably like UI view or UI control, and as such, when you, when you override an initializer, you have like init with coder and init with frame and other things. And if you only choose one of those initializers, it, like it'll only work in that scenario. So if you if you only choose like init or init with frame, then anytime somebody drags and drops a view onto interface builder or storyboards and sets their class to your class, then they're not going to benefit from the initializer that you implemented. So you have mm. init with coder, init with frame, and init. And sometimes I find that like there there are components that you know controls or whatever that we that we use like uh, third-party things, they were just never meant to be used with Interface Builder, for instance, or never meant to yeah. be used with storyboards. And so things become a little bit different. Do you yeah, find so that that's uh, a problem? And do you have any sort of uh, maybe tips on how to mitigate well, that? The, well, when whenever I'm building something, I always tend to so whatever you're subclassing. If you look up at all of the different constructors that you've got, so UI view would have uh, in it in it with frame in it with coder, um, and then well, I, and I've never come up with a nicer solution other than I'd then make my own common init method, which would actually do the initialization that I wanted. And I'd just override each of the three or however many initializers, the constructors that you've got from your superclass and just call my common init in each of those. So that would then mean that you would definitely get your common initialization called. And then if you need to do anything slightly different for interface builder versus for init with frame, for example, I think that, yeah, when you get initted with a coder, then your frame isn't set at the right time or isn't set when you expect it to be and that kind of thing. So you've got some different display logic to put in in the different initializers and that kind of thing. But yeah, I've never come across a, a way that's cleaner than that, I don't think. Okay. How? Yeah, I've, I've done something similar. The only the only thing I would add to that is if you name your method common init, then that pattern becomes really prevalent everywhere then you could potentially be overriding a superclass's common init, right? So yes. I always worry about that, like that I might be doing something that is so common. Uh, maybe Apple does it and they don't tell us. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. More, maybe a more class-specific um, uh, method name would be more sensible. And it wouldn't be on the API, so, I mean, it's, it, it wouldn't, yeah. you wouldn't. <laughs> you would just get a sil- some sort of mysterious rejection. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. 
Sam, the for the controls that you actually ship, how much of the code is kind of dealing with UI views and how much of it gets down into kind of lower level things like core graphics? So all of the I mean depending on what controls that that you're looking at, they're all they all they are all UI view subclasses, I think. But then within them, so uh charts for example, they are uh, open GL and uh, accelerated. So this is, I mean, this was the whole point of when we first built charts was that they were, in order to get the right kind of the interaction and the, the responsiveness that users expect from touch devices, you just couldn't do it without dropping down to core graph, uh, not core graphics, to, to OpenGL. So all of those are OpenGL accelerated. So there's a vast amount of OpenGL code in those. Plus then there's some various UI view stuff on top of that. So that all of the different components within a chart, they're all accessible from the API. So making those UI views then mean that people can understand how to do it. Um, and then within some of the other controls, there's a lot of stuff that is done with core animation particularly because that's really, well, <laughs> I was going to say core animation is really good for animation. You'd hope it would be given it was <laughs> given it's core animation. Yes, there's <laughs> lots of things that are done with CA layers and things that then then enable kind of, the, the again, for the responsiveness that you'd expect. Um, and then some things are drawn in core graphics. But yeah, I think a, a lot of it, from, from the user's perspective, it all looks like UI view. And then, but then within the kind of implementation, it all depends exactly what you're doing. Um, and that's, that's incredible. One of the, the kind of the key themes from the, the talk that I give on this is very much that you need to choose the right technology for, for what, what it is that you're doing. And, the visualization and the drawing of that is particularly important. So you get UI view or where you can do some kind of drawing and you, but not, not a vast amount, but then you can drop to core graphics where you've got a load of, you've got a massive amount of control over exactly what you're drawing because it's a, just a standard 2D graphics engine. But with that, you then have issues with, well, that actually is quite slow. If you want, if you're going to try and render every frame, that's going to be quite slow. Well, then you can kind of use, well, how about we start putting things on? core animation layers and building up a thing with these layers and then animate those round because that's a lot cheaper than redrawing. And then the last resort almost is is the OpenGL kind of world. So it's kind of working out what it is that I need to do and then understanding where in the platform be- that best fits. It kind of fits with the use the highest level API possible but then equally you need to know when when to drop down to kind of keep the interactivity and stuff that we've come to expect from things on Apple devices. Okay, so if you're for if you're giving advice to a beginner, would you say maybe try and do things with UI view based approach first, and then drop down, or kind of sit back and think about what's actually going to happen? Get as far as you can with UI view. I mean, yeah, as a general rule, I'd probably do as much as you can, and then when you start noticing that actually this is really slow, or it's you know it's noticeably jerky, or it's starting to drop things. Like for example, you could build a lot of depending what control it was, you could do really well to do. Um, uh, you could probably get really good responsiveness and things just out of using uh, UI view with UI image view and putting some images in. If you if you've got image if you've got artwork that's images and you don't need to be able to configure it, then you could probably get a really long way with that. That's, you know, using that and UI view animations is is nice. And then yeah, if you start to notice things that you want to add extra configurability, then maybe looking at uh, core graphics. And then if you start to get responsiveness problems, then then yeah, then start. Start dropping now. I think that's probably a sensible approach, unless you've unless you've got experience of all of these things. Then, if you suddenly went in and said, "Right, I need to understand exactly how the graphics stack works on iOS to be able to work out where the best place is," then I think that's going to be really a really hard place to start. I think. Yeah, another argument in favor of composing 
things off of built-in controls versus uh, rolling your own is um, accessibility comes somewhat for free if you do that. So if you turn off some turn on something like the um, voiceover capability in accessibility and you tap around, then it's going to say it's going to read off your labels and buttons and things like that. And if you have your custom control, then you're on your own on how to handle that, unless your custom control is sort of made up of buttons and labels and that sort of thing. Accessibility stuff also helps with if you if you're going to do any UI automation testing as well, because that's how you drill down into the view hierarchy. So that's yeah, it has a lot of lot of advantage of constructing it that way. And speaking of UI button, UI button is like my favorite example of how not to design classes. Um, <laughs> it's not very sub. <laughs> It's it's not very uh, subclass friendly. Um, I'm wondering if you have any comments for like things like that to like allow your control to be sort of reused in scenarios which you might not um, have envisioned when you built it. Um, I'm happy to elaborate on what I mean by not being sub subclass friendly if if that helps. Yeah, I think that would be quite helpful. Yeah, I, I so, think. I'm, yeah. Yeah. So like if you if you want to build your own like uh, awesome button. Uh, you might consider subclassing UI button. And in your initializer for the subclass, you would want to set the button type to custom, except that properties read only and is only set it set by the superclasses like factory method for creating a button. So you would say UI button, button with type. And unfortunately, if you do button with type and pass in custom, it's going to return to you a UI button instance, not your subclass. Yeah. So you know what what we've done in the past is instead of subclassing we just use a category method which returns our own specific configured instance of ui button but not a subclass right mm. so like it just something that is it, what i'd much rather is something i could do in interface builder is just like drag a button on set its class to my my awesome button class and be done yeah uh, but that's not really a um uh, a good approach because you run into issues like like i just described where you can't necessarily set the the type of button. Yeah, sure. Um, so everything that well, I mean that that's a kind of a fairly a big no no when you when you're putting it together. Although that, that didn't that news didn't get to Apple. Yeah. So the ever ever certainly everything that we build, if uh, not often, well, no, there are factory methods for these things for for depending what it is, and there's a whole kind of different set of things that have different options. But there's a uh, you would always have a, a constructor that would allow you to to get at uh, that that you could construct something with. So you could have a a subclass, and it would it, you'd never get anything that returned stuff that didn't allow you to to change things that you would be able to change otherwise. So, for example, factory methods. Yeah, I'm, I'm making it sound very confusing. Uh, for an exam, uh, example, example uh, where factory methods are used, we have a selection of. Uh, of different kind of activity and progress indicators that are kind of there for uh, because UI activity view is not very customizable. We've built some other ones that, and you can have like radial ones or linear ones. And because you can have your activity and progress, then you end up with this. It's you can you we have the concept of uh, linear radial, so two different shapes. You can have progress and activity, so progress. You kind of update it and it fills it up. And an activity is just, there's something going on and it'll keep spinning. And then we also have this concept of discrete. So that's like made up of little blobs or made up of little objects or continuous, which is like a, um, like a pipe being filled up or something or, or a, a rotating thing. And 
So what this means is actually that doesn't fit nicely into a class hierarchy because you end up with, you've actually got three different things that you want to, and you'd end up with this kind of weird class tree thing where everything talks to each other. So that, in order to make that easier for the user, then we have factory methods for that, that, that kind of return you an object, a particular instance of something that is nice and, uh, and, and easy to use. So that's an example where a factory method is quite useful, but that doesn't prohibit somebody subclassing one of the things that we've built and changing the way something works, because that we don't return something that's private, for example. We return something that you can get out and you can change yourself. Yeah, I think that would be helpful in the UI button case, but that's good to know that there's you know, like factory methods for configuring all the common cases. Yeah, and I think that's quite an important important thing. Whenever you're designing any controls, then I think the kind of 90-10 kind of approach where it's worth sensible defaults that will suit 90% of the cases because 90% of the people will want to just drop it in and, and use it. They won't want to have to then spend three hours configuring it because somebody has some, you know, there is one particular use on this circular UI slider that says, well, we have... Uh, a gradient at the start, a gradient from the start to the end with two colors and a gradient from the center outwards of a different gradient. And then we want to be able to have two different sliders that are on the same track and all this kind of stuff. You don't want that as your kind of your first use case. You don't want somebody to have to sit down and say, well, no, I only want one uh, indicator and I only want to have one color. I don't want to. You just want kind of the base use case that everybody's going to want to use. And then, but if possible, have the configurability for the for the last 10% that want to get it to look in, a, in a, a very specific way, have that, but make it a little bit more difficult to get at almost, I think, is the, is the key thing when you're building it. Going back to OpenGL, what do you have to do to do OpenGL drawing in a UI view? Is, there, is that tricky? Or? I'm no expert on this, but I do know that when you... The uh, UI view is backed with a um, core animation layer or layer hierarchy or something like that, and there's a... Uh, what you can do is there's a, a, a CA layer subclass called CAEAGL layer, I think, some uh, arrangement of those letters in, in uh, I can't quite remember the name of it. But once you've got one of those, then you can then, that will then tell it that it's going to be, the content for that layer is going to be rendered with OpenGL. So from the point of view of UI view, it's actually really easy because there's a, you have a class method on UI, or oh, am I right? No, it might be on CA layer. Um, well, there's a method that set, sets what type of layer I am and uh, on, on a, what type of layer. So you can just set mm-hmm. that as I'm a GL layer. And then you're, and this is where I'm a little bit hazy. I think you then get some kind of delegate code for doing your GL elsewhere. And then your GL stuff is done like standard GL. So you'd have, you, you write your shaders and, uh, uh, yeah, your shaders in as like a string. And then they get compiled on the graphics chip, so then that, that's in the same way that it normally works. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you make custom controls, what's the process of bringing them into kind of the new era if Apple goes and changes everything, like the transition between iOS 6 and iOS 7? Like, what do you have to do? <laughs> uh, well, this required a fair amount of effort. Um, so once iOS 7 was announced, then there was a lot of work to do from, well, how do we match it so that it kind of, we we are we can provide the same look now we, we a lot of our controls have kind of uh, a custom way of doing uh, doing their look and feel so what what it meant was that we provided new styles or themes or something so that it matched the look but in addition to that there's, there's various other things that that new technology allows you to use which is a bit more difficult for we have a currently have a, 
a thing where we say, well, we're going to support back to iOS 5. That may well soon be iOS 6. But So you can't kind of jump on all the exciting new technologies in iOS 7, which is a bit disappointing. But there are some things that you, you know, definitely should be approaching. They, from our point of view, actually building frameworks and things that contain these controls, there was far more of an issue with the 64-bit announcement, which was partially because you didn't get very long to deal with that, and partially the simulator and the device didn't do the same kind of thing, and obviously the, uh, we're, we didn't get any pre-release on the device or anything, so you kind of, it turned out some of our frameworks stopped working because the GL implementation had changed um, under the hood on the on the device. So as soon as that, as soon as the uh, you know, the first people started to get the iPhone 5s, then we got some people coming back saying it just doesn't work. We can't do anything yet because the person in the queue hasn't got the hasn't got the 5s yet, so we can't really help you out yet. <laughs> well, now we've got the 5s, and we're all kind of you know the dev team sharing it round to try and work out what the what the fixes were. But yeah, so it was a slight slight panic in that respect, but from the point of view of visualization, a lot of it was relatively cosmetic, I think, was was because of the way that our controls had been designed. Then there was a lot of, well, let's get rid of that shadow and, and this kind of thing. And, and because of it, it, it means it's effectively a new style. So if people have this 7 app built on iOS 7 with our controls in it, you can actually still make it look like an iOS, uh, like the iOS 6 version of our um of the controls as well. It's just as kind of an extra theme. Okay, so you provide different themes for different versions that they can use, mix and match, whatever they need to do. Yeah, you can do it like, or you can, or you can build it up yourself. So, kind of, or, or, what, uh, the, a lot of the work that came from uh, our point of view was a lot of debugging with table view, but then a lot of working out, well, what do, what should it look like in iOS seven? Which was, I think, there was a, a period. Mm-hmm. Doing that with all of their apps, what what should this look like in uh, in iOS seven? Um, and yeah, so that's that was kind of what we came up with. So, what cool new things can you do if you just have to support iOS seven that you're excited to get get rolling on? Well, there's uh, I've spent quite a bit of time working on on this. Whether or not it, uh, because I've been writing a blog series of uh, kind of here's a new feature on iOS seven for developers. Let's have a look at it. What can you do with it? Um, there's some really cool things, not necessarily applicable. Uh, obviously applicable. So, if, I mean, like UI dynamics is a is as big has been quite a big. Look at this. This is amazing physics engine. Look what you can make. I made a what do you call it? A, a Newton's cradle with it. So you kind of have these like the the desk toy that you get with the the pendulums that backwards and forth. Uh, I built one of those with it, and you kind of think, wow, that's really cool. Um, and then you can, well, I don't don't really know what I'm going to do with it now. That's actually useful for an app. But there's some really cool stuff with. You're- you're gonna abuse it, right? Everybody, like everybody else, is gonna abuse it. They'll just overuse it, and then eventually, like the community will say, "Okay, no more of that. No more pendulum." But it'll be apps. fun. <laughs> yeah, well, it'll be fun. Yeah. Same with UI motion effect as well. We've got it's quite cool, but actually, I don't really know what to do with it now that we've done parallax and 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 yeah. So there's that. Um, there's some quite cool stuff with view controller transitions that I think is kind of long overdue and it's quite nice to get some stuff in there that, and I think that is quite quite useful um, and yeah there's a few other bits and pieces as well I quite like tint colour simply because it's very simple I think it's, it's, the, it's really handy so tint colour kind of given a control it has a well any UI view uh, class has a, a tint uh, subclass has a tint colour 
property, uh, which is just a uh, you know one single color that a UI view should take as its its kind of primary color, which which doesn't make any sense in iOS six, but in iOS seven, then that's what it's all about. It's very kind of plain, simple. You know, one or, you know, one color, one theme color. And, and it has this kind of property that when you set the theme color, then everything in that view I view hierarchy below that view I view will then, in the view hierarchy, will get then updated with their tint color. So that's something quite interesting. And that, and that for, um, UI is kind of quite, quite cool because that means that if, if you're building a control that should look like iOS 7, then you probably have one single color and you've got this tint color property that you can ask for what you should look like. And then you have, uh, there's another method on there, I think called set tint color that will get called when the tint color changes, either when you or in, in something else and you're uh, above your hierarchy if you don't have a tint color set. So it's quite, um, um, so that's, that's kind of an extra little thing that is, is, you know, kind of made for controls, I guess. Is, is ideal. What would you do if, like, you had a, say, a, a chart and the tint color sort of clashed with your chart color? <laughs> like the user's desired tint color or something like that? The problem with something like a chart is that there's no, there's no, not really one clear tint color in many cases. So if, you, if you've got, obviously you've got background color, which still exists, but then you're going to be coloring things like the, the individual series so if, but which so if you only have one series and you've just got one line on your chart then yeah maybe that could match the tint color but that's up to the user to set that they can choose what that should be simply because if you have four series i've only got one tint one tint color then how should that kind of relate to my other series it doesn't doesn't quite make sense so it's all left entirely up to the up to the user i think for that kind of thing tint color is kind of meant to be indicate interactive elements of your control i think Mm. In which case, yes, yeah, yeah, that 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 makes sense, doesn't it? Um, in which case, it doesn't really fit in the chart paradigm particularly well, since generally the whole thing is is interactive. So it's not it's not like a button where it just has the text that's interactive, or you know, you've got a back button, or you've got a a slider, or something like that. It doesn't doesn't quite fit the same paradigm. So I just want to say I have a lot of respect for people that make products that are targeted at developers. Because every developer thinks they could do what you do in like a weekend if they just put their heads down and they think they could do it better. This is, yeah, so this is our biggest kind of, well, when I go, I go out and I talk to a lot of indie developers and kind of, you know, I get, so yeah, I see some people who say, we use your charts, they're amazing, you know, or we use, you know, we use these controls, they're, you know, we love them, they're really good, which is really nice to see. And then you see some other people who say, yeah, but, yeah, it's not very hard, is it? I could write that. And I kind of, yeah, I'm exactly the same. I would also say, yeah, it's not very hard, I could write that. And at, the, at that point, I'm kind of, well, feel free to go and write it. But if you can write it in less time than you would charge for, you know, the, the, than, than it would cost you, then go and do it. Because, you know, there's, in charts, there's many thousands of hours, man hours that, has, that have gone into it. And, you know, all of these things have loads and loads of time gone into them. And that, that's, that's kind of, our the point behind Shinobi controls is very much that we're there to to try and help developers and make developers' lives easier. We're not there to kind of say, look, look, aren't we clever? We can do this. You can't. That's not you know. We're not saying that at all. I mean, there are bits of the chart code that I you know I wouldn't I couldn't do without quite a lot of work. But you know, some of the other controls that we build, they're not. There's not a load of rocket science in there. The point is, it's been done for you, and we produce something that is is 
uh, easy to use from the point of view of the user and the and the developer as well. That's the the kind of the other thing that is quite key when you're doing use case design for UI boxes. That is it's a kind of it's a funny use case where you've actually got two end users. You've got the the group of end users who are actually going to sit and play with them. They need to be satisfied. They need to have an excellent experience. They need to understand them. They need to be intuitive. They need to be responsive. All that kind of stuff. But then equally, you've got the developer who's actually going to have to work with your control, and you don't want to annoy them too much. So you've got to have a you've got to have an API that's well documented. It's got to be easy to use and all that kind of stuff. So we're we're very much there aiming for actually we can come and do. We're not saying. We can do things better than you, but we can do things. You know, the time has already been spent, and it would take you a lot longer to build this than it would the, the, than the amount of money. Uh, um, and I think that's uh, that's kind of a key message. And I think that goes for people who have have used it. That seems to go quite well. Um, and I'm certainly not advocating no, don't build any UI controls. Come and build them. Uh, sorry, come and buy them from us. That's definitely not the case. There are there are many things that either we don't do or that maybe you want to be particularly specific or you want the experience of going and learning how to build a UI control, yeah, do that. That's 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 definitely the case. But if you find something that, that you think we can help out with, then come and talk to us because that's what we're there for. We're there for developers and that's the they're the people we want to want to please. Yeah, I think I think the default mindset for a lot of developers is I'll spend two weeks on something to save a few hundred bucks. You know, not rational, but I think that's where yeah. we all start. <laughs> yeah. And you, you kind of say, well, you know, that's fine. You're, you're effectively paying yourself kind of $3 an hour or something. <laughs> that's uh, Pretty much. Even managers will overlook that, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, the lengths at which a uh, past client went to avoid trying to get another vendor on the approved purchasing list. Uh, in order to buy a flash control was, uh, was pretty ridiculous. This was a long time ago, but, um, short end of the story is that I ended up writing some flash, which I'm not qualified to do. <laughs> and I'm sure you were happy about it too. Oh, it was the most exciting ever. What, what language is flash written in? Is that in? Action script. Action script. Yeah. Not... It's kind of like JavaScript, but worse. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Without the good parts, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, should we get to the picks? Sure. Sounds good. All right. Jane, you want to start us off? Okay. I've got a couple picks. One thing I found online while helping people make the transition from iOS, iOS 6 to iOS 7 is the iOS design cheat sheet, which has all the different form factors and status bar heights and navigation bar heights all in one place. So I'll send that link. My second pick is a little category that's built off AF networking. If you're trying to transfer, I'm working on some code right now to transfer um, ASI networking over to AF networking because everyone knows if you use ASI networking, it's kind of like dealing with last week's sushi. We're all going to die. So making the transition for client app. <laughs> and AF, network, AF networking provides a little category that allows you to drop in um, kind of the, the default HTTP request operation. And just kind of let it drop in using a, I forget what it is, a, com- a compatibility alias. So you can just change your includes and kind of the basic stuff just kind of works. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's a really cool trick. All right, Ben, what are your picks? So uh, on topic is uh, cococontrols.com, which is a cool repository of where you can find controls um, that other people have written. And I visit the site all the time. And then sort of some off topic picks. 
Um, I just uh, traveled to India and uh, traveled on Lufthansa Airlines for the first time ever. And I have to say, I was pretty impressed. Uh, free booze and brandy at the end of a meal. I thought that was a good way to sort of get your the uh, people flying to shut up and go to sleep. Uh, <laughs> 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 and uh, so while in India... Um, I went to a really awesome restaurant called Samarkand, and they had amazing food. And, of course, my obligatory beer pick. Beer in India leaves a little bit to be desired, I'll say. (laughs) Uh, But I was able to find a nice uh, Belgian dark beer brewed in India uh, called Geest. Uh, At least, my, if my understanding is correct, it's brewed in India. Uh, And that was uh, definitely the best beer I found there. It was a dark Belgian ale. And those are my picks. All right. Rod, what are your picks? All right, my first pick is a uh, it's a method on NS Calendar in, in another category called NS Calendar Equal with Granularity. Uh, I've written code before where I have to extract all the different parts of a calendar just to see if something's on a, on a certain date. Here you can just say equal with granularity and just give it a day, and then it'll tell you if, if these two dates are on the same day. So that's kind of handy function. That sounds like it'd be cool and handy in a unit test also. It used to be, apparently it used to be in uh, the iOS 7 betas, and then for some reason it got took out, so this person added it back in. And then uh, another, my other pick is uh, JV Float Label Text Field, which is a neat component that I saw online. And basically it takes the placeholder in a text field, and as soon as you start typing, that placeholder moves up to be a label above the text. So it looks kind of cool. So that is called JV Float Label Text Field, and those are my picks. Awesome. My life's been kind of crazy, so I don't have any picks. Sam, what are your picks? Uh, I don't think you've had it before. It's, uh, whenever I'm doing any text editing type things, then I've kind of gone through all the text editors in the world and kind of come up with Sublime Text as my favorite one. So that's, that's Sublime Text, which you can put on, uh, I think it's called Vintage Mode, and then it becomes a little bit as well. You know? So I'm a massive fan of that. I've been writing a lot of blog posts lately, so that's that's my uh, uh my kind of editor of choice for writing Markdown and that kind of thing. So that's Sublime Text. I think you've had Dash in the past, but maybe maybe a couple of months ago. Um, I'd quite like to reiterate it. Dash is amazing. It's a documentation browser, uh, which is it's a standalone app within uh, OS X, and you can load all kinds of different documentation sets, so it'll pull out all of the stuff from uh, your Xcode installed to iOS, OS X. Um, uh, but in addition, you can download vast numbers of different uh, documentation sets as well, so that you can get the Mozilla uh, Developer Network JavaScript and the HTML5, you can get Ruby, you can get anything. And I have it on a, a kind of uh, hot, hot key so that... Whenever I'm writing anything, then it's really, really quick to get up and it'll pull up your the documentation for you incredibly quickly. It's the best documentation thing I've ever found, and I like use it for. And it's great because you can use it for all of these different um, languages and things. So that's cool. I've got a couple more. One one is a bit cheeky because it's uh, a blog series I've been writing, but I'll, uh, is I've been writing uh, a daily blog series about iOS seven for developers. I'm currently on day. 19, I think. So, uh, there's, I've got a, another week or so to go at least. Just a little blog post each day of something cool that I found in iOS 7 for developers. So I'll send a link over for that. Uh, and then finally, completely off topic is something I love reading is 
so XKCD has been a fan of my, uh, I've been a fan of XKCD for a long time, but, uh, a couple of years ago, or maybe a year ago, um, he started doing XKCD What If, which is a kind of thought, a, a weekly thought experiment into kind of questions of, uh, of, well, pretty much ridiculous questions like how many punch cards would it take to put all of the data that Google has got on it and, and, and or, um, how many printers would it take to be able to print out the entirety of Wikipedia live as it gets edited and that kind of thing? Um, and what would happen if the sun finally set uh, on the entire planet and that kind of thing? So that's uh, that's XKCD What If, which is a, is a great kind of read to distract from... from Interesting. Uh, All right. Well, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. Uh, thanks for coming, Sam. Really appreciate you taking the time to come talk to us. My pleasure. Anytime. We'll go ahead and wrap up the show. We'll catch you all next week.